Welcome back to the 76 Capital Leadership Series. I'm your producer, James Santor, and we have an awesome guest today. We have Stephen Barda, who is an Illinois basketball legend. He is a former NBA player, and he is a broadcaster in college basketball on both Fox Sports and the Big Ten Network. Stephen is an awesome guy. He's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen, and he has a great story. So sit back, relax, enjoy Stephen's episode, get ready for March Madness, and uh, it's going to be a good one. RushorderTees.com has been Philadelphia's number one customer apparel company since 2002. Whether you need one or a thousand shirts, Rush Order Tees can handle any order on any deadline. Start designing online today in their online design studio or give them a call at 1-800-620-1233. That's RushorderTees.com, Philadelphia's home for custom apparel. Welcome to the 76 Capital Leadership Series. My name is Wayne Kimmel, and I'm your host and also managing partner of 76 Capital. And I am really excited about today's show. We are going to dive into the world of you know, the NBA, college basketball, what it's like to be a broadcaster. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have a great guest. But before we get to that, as you all know, our 76 Capital Leadership Series is all about talking to the entrepreneurs, the executives the athletes who are truly doing the next, next thing in the sports industry. And that's what we're all about at 76 Capital, looking to hear from you, talk with you, and reach out and hear all the different things that are happening in the industry. And if you're one of those entrepreneurs, if you're one of those athletes, if you're one of those executives who's truly pushing things forward, I hope that we can connect. And you can connect with me at Wayne Kimmel on our all across the, uh, the social media networks that are out there. Our great producer, James Santor, is back at the station running all, making everything happen. He's a great follow at James Santor. And you can follow 76 Capital across all of our social media networks, as well as whether it's Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. And that's where we put out all of our shows across all of those networks. And it's really been great to talk with all of you about the things that we've been doing and seeing in this incredible sports industry today that's changing, that's evolving every single day, whether that's esports, sports betting, sports tech, it's all happening and it's happening fast. So let's get right to it. We've got a great guest today. We have Stephen Bardo. Stephen Bardo is, you know, the one of the incredible uh, players who, who played at the um, University of Illinois. And I can't wait to get into the story. His story is there. Played professional basketball in the NBA as well as overseas. Has some great stories there. And now today is a broadcaster with the Big Ten Network. And he's also someone that you should definitely follow across all social media networks. Stephen Bardo, welcome to our 76 Capital Leadership Series. Hey, Wayne. Thank you, man. I'm glad to be here with you today. Well, I'm so excited to have you on our show. I mean, before we jump into the, what we normally do on our show is really hear your backstory. I got to first thank you know Howard Wright for connecting us. Um, Howard Wright's the CEO of our portfolio company at 76 Capital, C360. And I'd love to hear your story, how you and Howard have gotten to know each other over the years. Well, Wayne, it goes back uh, more than three decades. Um, he was playing at Stanford. I was playing at Illinois. We were in a... Uh, tournament out in Hawaii. And he recalls that I wasn't really high on the scouting report in terms of guys to be paying attention to, but he, he kept seeing this guy telling everybody where to go, yelling at opposing teammate or, you know, the opponents and yelling at his coach. And he's like, who is this guy? Like, 
he wasn't really high on the scouting report, but he seems to be orchestrating everything. And so uh, we battled each other that day. Uh, we ended up beating his Stanford team, but uh, we kind of met each other and struck up a conversation and a friendship ensued after that. And it's been going strong for over 30 years. Wow, it's amazing. The bonds and the kinds of relationships that come out of come out of sports is is, is really incredible. Oh, there's there's no doubt about it. And it's uh, you know, when you have those shared experiences at that level, you're making split decisions in front of crowds and you're you're competing against some of the best athletes, and then you find kindred spirits. And so I'd like to think that Howard and I are kind of kindred spirits. Well, it's pretty incredible to watch what he's now doing with with C360 as the CEO of, of that company, which is really on the rise. Um, what they're doing from a, a, a really delivering a next generation uh, experience from a digital and TV perspective, uh, it's super exciting. Their cameras, I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to say this, we're at the, we're on the, uh, the we're, we're on the ice um, during the Lake Tahoe um, uh, NHL games this past weekend, pretty exciting. Um, they were in the nets. They were on the blue line. I mean, the things that he's now doing, how you're able to deliver, deliver this next generation viewing experience uh, is really exciting. And, and certainly you're in that world as well. But let's go back. Let's jump back and let's hear, you know, how did Stephen Bardo become, you know, first of all, such a, a beloved person at the University of Illinois. Uh, but I'd love to hear, you know, your, your backstory. Where did you grow up and were you always into basketball or what, what kind of brought you there? Wayne, I'm a, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm very fortunate to be the youngest in a family that basketball was our family business. My father um, had a 55-year career at Southern Illinois University as a professor, administrator. He was interim athletic director twice. He was, um, you know, in the Valley office. He was in the, uh, on boards at the NCAA. So he was very involved in intercollegiate athletics as well as being a professor in educational psychology. And he played for Southern Illinois University where I grew up back in 1957 through 61. Then my older brother, Craig, played at Indiana for Bobby Knight uh, one year, the year they won the national championship. He transferred to Bradley and then ended his uh, career at the Citadel. My sister played junior college basketball and I'm the baby. So I was the recipient of all that competition and game experience that they passed down to me. And, you know, growing up in Carbondale was a, a perfect situation for me because I currently live in Chicago, um, but Carbondale is a much smaller place, uh, uh, college town, so to speak, about 30,000 people. And I was really able to hone my competitiveness, develop my skill set, and then start to move on beyond our community and, and really have some success with that. But, you know, I've, I've just been very fortunate to be the baby of a lot of basketball and a lot of support and a lot of love. So, so I got to ask you, you know, being, you know, in a, in a basketball family, all your siblings playing, you're the youngest, you know, you had to be outspoken. You had to be tough. You had to be the one. I mean, you wouldn't get the ball, right? I mean, <laughs> that's right. No, my, my brother, uh, I think one of his missions in life was to make his younger brother tough. And he did. Um, he, really made it tough on me to play, um, you know, would have me crying at, at times. You know, my sister would take it a little bit easier on me. She wouldn't beat me up quite as bad as my older brother. But I, I really um, give him a lot of credit for my success, not only in the basketball court, but just in life, having a tough mentality and a, and a really tough approach to whatever I'm going to set myself uh, up for 
you know, a lot of times, Wayne, there, people are, are ready, aim, fire. I'm ready, fire, aim. Like I, I, I go, I get at it and I make adjustments on the way. So I, I give a lot of credit to Craig, my older brother, because he set the stage for me to be, uh, have to really fight every day just to get on the court, have to really uh, compete just to try to compete with him and try to win. And that's carried over into everything that I do. So I have to also ask, you know, you, were there times when you and your siblings went out and challenged others, kind oh, of the Bardo family versus? Oh, yeah, that, that was a, that was a big thing. And, um, you know, I think I think Helen and Craig, both my uh, sister and brother, took pride that once I got to a certain age that I could hold my own against older players. And so we would go and, and play and pick up games and stuff like that. And uh, I could see my brother smiling a little bit. He he didn't like to show uh, a lot of emotion, but I could tell that he was smiling a couple of times when I guys would come at me because I was younger, but I wouldn't back down. I'd come right back at him and uh, hold my own. And I think he he felt a sense of satisfaction with that. But the Bardo family was kind of known uh, around Southern Illinois in the state of Illinois as being um, a basketball family. But one, if you if you put your you put put your shoes on and lace up against the Bardo. You're gonna have a fight on your hands. It's gonna it's gonna be a tough, hard fought game. That's all. That's awesome. You know. Well, look, we're we're certainly not like the Bardos, but the Kimmels were. We were all right in Delaware, and, and because of my brother Larry and my sister Michelle, and when and people couldn't believe my sister Michelle out there. You know, she'd hit him with bet. You know, no look passes. You know, and people were like, "Where? What's going on here? Who is that?" You know, and they, <laughs> uh, they played at the next level. I didn't, but um. They, uh, but but those, that's those are those are those are great things that you you have to do. So after you know you know kind of growing up, mm -hmm. um, did your brother is you know played at a number of different schools or sister as well, right? So how how did how did um how did you end up at Illinois and how how did that process go? It, it's a it's a really good process, you know, um, having people that have gone through the process before I did, especially having a parent go through it, is really really helpful, and so. You know, my dad encouraged me to take all my visits so you could get five official visits. I had two unofficial visits. Uh, Purdue and Missouri came into the house, but I didn't um, take my visits to either of those schools. So I, I went to Illinois, Northwestern, Ohio State, Michigan State and Notre Dame and uh, had great visits. And I knew I wanted to play in the Big Ten, Wayne. And so the funny story, um, I go on my trip to Northwestern. And of course, I knew I wanted to go into broadcasting. So my mother was excited because she's like, look, my baby might have a chance to get a degree from Medill Journalism School, one of the best in the country. And so I went on my visit, had a great time. I came home and, you know, mom says, well, what do you think? I said, well, mom, I'm going to Northwestern. And she was ecstatic. My dad said, son, get in the car. And so we, we went, drove around town and he told me, he said, Stephen, you've never lost a day in your life. He said, you will, you will be the best player on the worst team in the Big Ten, and you'll be miserable. And he convinced me. So we got home, and I said, Mom, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm going to Illinois. My mom was hot. She was not happy because she didn't care about basketball. She wanted her son to get a degree uh, from a prestigious broadcasting school. And so my dad slept on the couch for two weeks, literally for two weeks. But he said, don't worry, son. I know what I'm doing. And he was right. It was uh, probably the best decision I've made. And I... Wayne, I like to tell young people, when you're making a choice and you get a chance, you get the privilege to play college basketball or college sports and you get a scholarship, you're not making a decision for the next four years. You're making a decision for the next 40. So where you go to college 
it will influence your friends the rest of your life, uh, the network that you will have, especially if you're fortunate to play college basketball or college football, you will get a lot of exposure from the fan base and from the alumni base. And so the decision that you make where you go to school has impact on your life 40 years down the line. And my dad knew exactly what he was doing. And I so thank him for his wisdom and, you know, helping me make the, the right decision. Well, Stephen, you know, then you went off to Illinois and playing there under Lou Henson with a great cast of, of characters and players and guys who really took the Illinois program to the next level. That must have been amazing. Yeah, Wayne, it was a, it was a heck of a ride, man. I mean, you know, we had we knew we had a talented freshman class coming in. You had the likes of Nick Anderson, who was an All-American. Kendall Gill was All-State like I was. There was Larry Smith from Alton, Illinois, just outside of St. Louis. He was probably the most talented of the incoming freshmen. He just stopped working on his game, unfortunately. He didn't, didn't seem to get any better. Um, so we had a large rec recruiting class our freshman year, and the upperclassmen were pretty good. Ken Norman was a 10-, 12-year NBA vet. They knew that we had a special group. And so, you know, first couple of years, we – grew and had some tough losses, uh, lost to Villanova in the second round of the um, NCAA tournament. My sophomore year, we were up 10 points under two minutes and just didn't hit our free throws. And they got some Hail Marys to drop and ended up beating us. We could have easily been, you know, Sweet 16, uh, lead eight in the sophomore year. But then, you know, you every great team has a bit of adversity before they have success. And that was our adversity. Everybody stayed on campus that summer. We worked our tails off and then ended up having that magical Final Four run in 1989. Yeah, I mean, I just keep thinking back, you know, you, Kendall Gill, Nick Anderson. I mean, that that threesome. Oh, my God. I mean, it's it, it, it's, it, was, it was incredible to watch those years. Yeah, must... we were unique, Wayne, because we were all kind of the same size. I'm 6'6". Kendall and Nick were 6'5". Kenny Battle was 6'6". And Lowell Hamilton, who... Uh, played the post he was six seven uh marcus liberty was on that team first guy off the bench he was the number one high school player in the country he was six eight so between six five and six eight we we would switch everything defensively and that's what made us so good of a defensive team and you know you're, you're talking athletes um kendall gill ended up being a 15-year nba vet he was a lottery pick nick anderson was a lottery pick he was a 14-year nba vet kenny battle was a first round draft pick uh to the phoenix suns and he played three or four years in the NBA. Uh, I got drafted in the second round. Lowell Hamilton played overseas. Marcus was drafted in the pick after me uh, in the second round in the 1990 NBA draft. He had some time in the NBA and overseas. So when you've got this collection of athletes all represented from the state of Illinois, we took pride in wearing that final line jersey and represented the state to the best of our ability. And I think our team was so unique because uh, Dick Vitale obviously named us the Flying Illini because we averaged 89 points a game that year, uh, set a record in dunks, and we're just a, a really fun team to watch. And uh, to this day, we've left an indelible uh, print and uh, imprint on the game of college basketball. As, as, in my opinion, Wayne, being the first positionless basketball team uh, to play college basketball. Yeah, absolutely amazing. I mean, you talk about th that time of, of playing basketball, you know, right? You were, it was about, 
you know, the flying Illini. It was about dunking. It was about getting to the rim, right? How has the game changed, you know, since then and to where you are today, where you have the Steph Curry's of the world and and the Kevin Durant's shooting from basically half court, right? The the you know the the Hardens and, and others. I mean, like you just step over half court and you're open, right? It's it was it's a completely different game. How do you think that? How do you think it has played out over the years? And what do you, what are your thoughts about what's what's how the how the game's changed? Well, you know, everything really starts at the NBA level and then trickles down. Um, and it's really interesting, Wayne, that basketball is a very unique sport in that the professional league, the NBA, compared to the college game, are two different games. It's really the only sport that you see that. College football and the NFL are, are much more similar than the NBA and college. So you have a different shot clock between the NBA and college. You have uh, a, a, a further three-point shot. You have different rules. And the NBA went to pace and space. That's what I describe the NBA right now, pace and space. So they want to get up and down and they want to shoot threes. They want to space the floor out. And they, in my opinion, the NBA is basically legislated defense out of the game. So you can't be physical. You can't, you can't hand check. You can't do a lot of things that when I was playing in the NBA, you could do. You can't do that any longer because the NBA made had a, I guess a direction where they wanted to get the scoring to be higher and they wanted to take the physicality out of the game that I used to appreciate. And so when you look at that and then you compare the college game, the college game appears much more physical. Like there's a lot more contact that's allowed in the college level than at, than at the pro level. And so I, I have mixed feelings about it. I still love the NBA. It's the top level of the game. But I think that they they tweaked the game too much. They've uh, messed around with it a little bit too much. It's entertaining, but I mean, if if you want to be really honest, Wayne, I'm a purist. I can watch basketball all day. But if you're a casual fan, you really don't have to tune in to a regular season NBA game until the fourth quarter, because they're they're going to jostle back and forth. There might be a big lead here or there. But these guys play so many games that they're going to, you know, they're playing hard, they're playing well, but they won't turn it on until the fourth quarter. And so the difference between the NBA and the college game bothers me a lot. I wish that the two uh, could come together and have a similar feel um, because, you know, I, I, I don't know why there's it's been so different. And I don't think the college game is going to follow the NBA in terms of pace and space. Uh, thank goodness, because I think there's still a lot more balance in the college game than there is in the NBA game. You rarely see a post-up play in the NBA game outside of Joel Embiid. You don't see a lot of guys that post up anymore in the NBA. But you still see, particularly in the Big Ten Conference, they've got a plethora of bigs that are very good. And so there's a lot more balance, in my opinion, to the game at the college level than there is currently at the NBA level. Well, it's really great to have Stephen Barrow on our 76 Capital Leadership Series. Stephen, it's awesome having you on the show. And, you know, over your your right shoulder, you have a great picture of, of your coach back in the day, Coach Lou Henson. Yep. What was it like playing for him? And what were some of the lessons and things that, that you learned playing, you know, un, you know, under his sort of tutelage and, and a guy who was, you know, kind of larger than life when it comes to basketball in, in the state of Illinois? Well, Wayne, you know, it, I, I, I'm, I'm a hard-headed dude, and I was really hard-headed between 18 and 22 years old, the time that I spent uh, uh, playing for Lou Henson. 
And I didn't understand the, the pressures that he was under. I didn't understand the level of accountability that college coaches at that high a level have. And so he and I butted heads. We couldn't stand each other. Uh, but I started all four years. I was his point guard all four years. But we didn't like each other. And we butted heads quite a bit. But a lot of the lessons that – it's funny because Coach Henson would teach lessons, Wayne, and we, it would drive us crazy. He, he, he's like, you're creatures of habit. You're creatures of habit. I'm like, man, would you shut up with that? What are you talking about? And, you know, he would say all these things. And then I caught myself saying it to my kids one day. And it was like, whoa, you know, it came full circle. And the older I get, God rest Coach Henson's soul, the older I get, the smarter he becomes. And that's because I'm getting a little bit smarter and not as hard-headed. But he would always say, you know, you're creatures of habit. And he'd get mad at you and he'd say, and he, his voice would raise and he had, he has a Southern, he had a Southern twang. So he, he'd say, hey, you're not worth the salt in your bread. And, you know, he'd had these old country sayings. And it's like, what salt in your bread? What are you talking about? But he imparted a lot of discipline on us. And we were uh, an extremely disciplined defensive team. And I was the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten. A lot of that um, because of the defensive schemes that Coach Henson imp implemented and the importance that he put on that side of the basketball when we were playing. And so... There's tons of lessons, tons of things. Um, I'll, I'll share this one with you. Uh, we're going to Hawaii for a tournament, and we're in Chicago O'Hare Airport. And I used to love to read the USA Today newspaper. I don't know why. I just loved it. And if you remember in the, the newspaper machines, Wayne, you could put in, you know, a, a couple quarters and open it up, and you could, you know, it was an honor system. So you take one paper and you let it close. Well, my teammates wanted extra papers. And so I went in, I put the money in, I took about four of them out. And Coach Henson stopped me dead on the spot. He said, hey, put the money in or put the newspapers back in. He said, people are counting on that money. And he, I was embarrassed at the time. But if you, you understand now that he was using that example to send a message to me and my teammates that, hey, this is an honor system and people are depending on that money. It may seem little to you, but if somebody, if something comes up short, that's on that's on the person that's responsible for that. And it was a it was a lifelong lesson that you know I imparted on my kids as well. So there were a lot of different things that um, Coach Henson that I thought he was out of style or oh he's too old he doesn't understand. He knew exactly what he was doing, and you know I, I'm I'm very fortunate to, to have the time uh, playing for Coach Henson. Absolutely, and then after being in Illinois. You moved on and you were drafted in the, in the second round of the NBA. And you know, tell us about that part of your of your journey. Well, that's where it got interesting, Wayne, because uh, up until that point, I had really not been uh, denied anything uh, in terms of basketball. And so I played 10 years professionally and I call it coffee breaks. I had half seasons with Detroit Pistons, um, Dallas Mavericks, and I also had time with San Antonio Spurs. But a lot of times people don't understand and I talk to young kids about this all the time. I was cut, waived, or released 16 times from the NBA. So that includes many camps that I didn't get invited back to. That includes summer camps where you don't get invited back to uh, veterans camp or veterans camp where you could make the team. Or I didn't, you know, there were times where I didn't make the team. So out of all these situations, 16 different times, teams told me, well, you're not good enough, or we can't use you, or you're good, but you know, you're not the right fit. And so 
Um, you know, but I often tell kids, you know, how many teams are in the NBA? 30. So in my head, there were 14 more opportunities. Obviously, I got smart enough and figured out that my NBA was over in Japan, where I finished my last four years and ironically played against Howard Wright when he was with Toyota. I was with Toshiba. But all of those, uh, you know, my professional career was really rocky because I had a lot of turmoil and I had a wife and my first son at the time. And I pulled them all over the place. I mean, we moved 16 times in my first six years of my career. And that's not like from Chicago to Atlanta. That was from Atlanta to uh, Fabriano, Italy, or Barcelona, Spain, or uh, Kawasaki, Japan. I mean, I was I was all over the world, and it put a strain on my relationship. Uh, and you know, I eventually got divorced from uh, my wife. But you know, the experiences were great. It was a it was a traumatic time. It was fun playing professional basketball. I made a little money. Uh, lived out my lifelong dream, but it it definitely took its toll. Planning your next corporate event or need branding apparel for your business? RushorderTees.com is Philadelphia's home for custom apparel. Rush Order Tees can handle any order on any deadline. Give them a call today at 1-800-620-1233 or start designing online in their state-of-the-art design studio at rushordertees.com. Well, you know, speaking about, you know, the travel and being all over the world and what was it like on the basketball court? You know, once you are on the court in, in, in Japan or in Italy, I mean, once you got there, was it, was it a similar kind of a game or, or were you, how do how were you able to sort of communicate with, with so many different, you know, different languages, different people, different teammates, uh, must've been just, you know, Kendall and Nick and, and the guys, right. I mean, it was, it was, must've, must've been a, really different. It, it, it was very different, but Wayne, I, I'm, I'm a different type of basketball player. I'm, I'm really, uh, I love culture and I love history. And so I always wanted to be viewed as somebody that was respectful of everyone's culture. So what I would do, I'd go get those Fodor, F-O-D-O-R books. And it would, you know, they would give you phrases and words uh, in, you know, I, I learned Spanish, Italian, and Japanese while I was playing overseas, enough to get by. And I could, I could hear and understand a lot more than I could speak. But I would really try to study those, uh, the, the phrases and the words before I got there because I didn't want to be viewed as an ugly American. Because a lot of times, and basketball players are, are guilty of this. We expect when we would go overseas to a different country, where's the McDonald's? Where's the, you know, why aren't your roads this big? Why, you know, why is it, th why aren't things like the United States? I never wanted to go with that mentality. I wanted to go and say, all right, well, what does your culture have to offer? Well, let, let's see what the difference is. And what that did, Wayne, was that all my foreign teammates, they could tell that I was trying to respect them. And man, did it make a huge difference. And so I would call the plays in the native language. So for example, we're in Japan and I'm calling out, all of our plays were in numbers. I would call out the play in Japanese. So the American guys that we were playing against, they wouldn't know the call. They wouldn't understand what we were running. And it made a big difference. That's why I think one of the reasons why I was successful at a lot of stops when I went overseas, because I delved into the culture and I wanted to be respectful of those gentlemen that I was working with and playing with. And then, Wayne, the funny thing is, 
every business has its own terminology, vocabulary. And basketball is no different. I don't care if you're in Japan or if you're in South America, you're in Africa. Basketball is basketball. And if people have played long enough, there's a language, there's a feel, there's a, a certain flow of the game that's universal. And so it was quite interesting that wherever I went around the world and played, the game pretty much took care of itself once you got inside the lines. You know, it's interesting. I was just actually talking with a, a friend of mine. His name's Nick Kaner Medley. He played at Maryland. He's been playing oh, overseas Maryland. for the last 15 years now. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, he's in France now. And is, it could be his last season. Um, and he was telling me that as he's played in all of these places, and many, many of the places that you, you played, each, each different stop, the games are different. Some, are, some places are made for you're going to bang. In other places, yeah. it's, a, it's a fast break kind of a situation. Is, did you find that same kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know exactly what he's saying because, like, in France was a very physical league. Uh, they, they, they let you beat the crap out of each other. And then Spain was a little bit more free-flowing. Italy was a nice blend between France and Spain where it was, it was physical, but, you, you know, it wasn't a, a grudge match like it was in France. Japan was different because it was an undersized league. Howard Wright was one of the uh, – when we were there, Howard was probably the biggest guy as a post player uh, in that league at the, at, during that time that we were there. And so it was a little bit undersized. Um, so it was a little bit more free flowing. So there are uh, differences in the game in, in terms of when you go to different countries. So um, that part is interesting, but it didn't take long to get accustomed to it because, you know, when you hoop all your life and you get on the court, you can tell pretty quick, okay, this, these guys are physical. They're going to, the, the refs are going to let us play or, you know, they're calling touch fouls. So, you know, you got to be very careful and it's more free flowing. So, there are definite uh, distinct characteristics between each professional level and uh, Australia being uh, an outstanding league as well, physical, uh, but very similar, a little bit more similar to the NBA game than maybe a lot of other uh, leagues overseas. Well, you certainly have had some amazing experience and it's really awesome having you on our 76 Capital Leadership Series. We have Stephen Bardo and Stephen, we've got to get to the point where, where you are today and what you're doing. I mean, with the Big Ten Network, with Fox, with all the different things that you're doing from a social media perspective and, and, and talking about the game of basketball and what a great, you know, interesting time in 2021 where you're fighting Illini are... Uh, they're doing pretty well in the Big Ten, so we've got a lot to talk about on this side of things. Let's kind of just just jump in here. I mean, what's it been like, kind of going to the where you're behind the mic now and calling all these different games? It must be must be amazing. Oh, Wayne is wonderful, and I, I I've been so blessed that I played on a legendary team that gave me credibility that that opened up doors for me to get into the business. And then once I got in the business, now I worked at it, and I've gotten a lot better, and I continue to get better. And Wayne, I'm, I'm not afraid to tell you this. I think I'm the best uh, basketball analyst in the business, NBA or pro or NBA or college, period. Because one, I'm a former player that's played in every different type of league that you could play in the world. Not just, you know, not just playing the NBA. I've been all over the world. And so I've seen every type of basketball there is. I am a non-verbal communication expert. I can read energy and I can see things as they develop a lot quicker than most analysts. And so having the playing experience that I had has been um, just 
tremendously valuable to where that I can see something, I can retain it quickly, and I can spit it back out. See, that's the that's the key thing that separates the good from the great in our business. A lot of a lot of players can ex players and commentators can see things, but can they turn it over quickly enough and say it in a way that even a casual fan can ex understand exactly what you mean? So I used to love John Madden. He was one of my favorite uh, um, commentators ever. And Madden used to break stuff down to the point where if you didn't play football, you understood exactly what he said when he was breaking something down. That's what I like to do. I like to edu educate, edu edutainment, educate and entertain. So I like edutainment. So I want to be funny and, and tie in social things that are going on currently to the game or, you know, a, a funny, um, you know, I, I might say something about a player's hair or their shoes or something like that. Because at the end of the day, Wayne, we're entertainment. We're not we're not covering murders or hard news. This is a basketball game. So it, it needs to be entertaining. But I also want to educate the viewer. Every time someone comes to a game that I'm calling, Wayne, I want them to walk away with at least something that they didn't know before that they can take with them moving forward and watching basketball, uh, you know, after they leave uh, the experience that I helped to create. And so it's been a, it's been a, a wonderful run. Uh, you know, uh, Illinois fans get mad at me when I call Illinois games because I'm right down the middle. They want me to uh, lean towards uh, the fight in line I during my color commentary, but I have to remind uh, uh, Illinois fans that I like green. I like the color green. I love the color orange and blue. That's the, that's the, Illinois colors, but I love green. I like getting paid. And in order for me to get paid on television, you have to be right down the middle. I don't care if you have feelings for your alma mater or not. And I think I do a really good job of that. Well, I, I certainly enjoy watching you on the Big Ten Network when I get to, you know, watch my my uh, beloved Maryland Terps, which are also kind of on the way up right now, making yes, making are. a run here. Yes, they are. Um, it's really been impressive to see what the, how how tough they've been and and how they've been really fighting under uh, Turgeon this season and coming together in a way, you know, Stephen. They they're kind of a kind of built on on that smaller level type tough type team that you know you guys had back in the day as well. Yeah, they, they have a lot of interchangeable parts. Uh, I, I love um, their big three: Daryl Morsell, Eric Ayala, and Aaron Wiggins. I think are really starting to play some of their best basketball. And, you know, Wayne, it takes time when you're a team like Maryland because there are not a lot of teams in college basketball that lose two pros. Sometimes you lose one and you can recover. But when you lose two pros, Anthony Cowan, he may not be in the NBA right now, but he's a pro. And obviously, Stick Smith was a lottery pick. So, uh, you know, Ayala, uh, Morcel, and Wiggins, it, it's, it's, real, it's easy to be a complimentary player. It's hard to be the main target. And I think it took them time to come into that role, but they're really starting to hit their stride at the right time right now. Well, let's sort of also jump into some of some of your guys. You know, but we don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be completely down the middle here. Let's talk about the Illini. Where do you, where do you see them going this season? You know, you know, into the Big Ten tournament coming up very soon, as well as uh, the NCAA tournament. I think Illinois could uh, compete for a national championship. I think they're that good. Io DeSumo is the best guard in college basketball. He's uh, in the over 100-year um, 
span history of the University of Illinois basketball program, which, by the way, Wayne, is the 11th winningest program in the country. So it's one of the top basketball programs in the country. Iowa DeSumo's had two triple doubles in the last two weeks. There had only been two triple doubles in program history. Iowa DeSumo has two in the last two weeks. Um, his averages of 21 points, over six rebounds, over five assists, and shooting 40% from the three-point line. If he keeps this up, there's been no college player since um, since Ken Palm's statistics started in 1991. He'll be the only college player since 1991 to ever have those averages. He's, ha he's having a remarkable season. He has now surpassed Luca Garza, in my opinion, as the Big Ten Player of the Year. He's also up for National Player of the Year. And then when you add Kofi Coburn to the mix, uh, seven foot, 280, physical specimen freak. He's learned how to play without fouling. He's, he's a walking double-double. He leads the country in double-doubles. Illinois has the best one-two combination in the country. And they have senior guards, DeMonte Williams, Trent Frazier. They have depth up front with Georgie Bashanis Vili, Jacob Grandison. Uh, they have a tremendous uh, freshman point guard who's going to be a pro, Andre Corbello. He's a little wild right now, but he's a magician with the rock. They have everything that you ever want, depth, size, and they've got a guy that you can give the ball to, and he can go get you a bucket at any time. So I think Illinois, along with Michigan and along with Ohio State, uh, if one of those three isn't cutting down the nets in Indianapolis this year, that it will be a disappointing run for the Big Ten, in my opinion. Well, I hear you, and, and you know, you, you look at some of the odds, and I hear some of the the analysts and people talking, you know, from a, a sports betting perspective, and you hear a lot about Baylor now, and you hear Gonzaga, yep. and then Michigan, but not, you know, and everyone's talking about that Michigan Ohio State game over the weekend, which was a good game, but you know, your Illini keep an eye there, keep a big big time eye on that. They could be the the ones who definitely could be cutting down cutting down the nets. Um, pretty incredible, and would be would be really special. Um, certainly, look, the Big Ten, this this is their opportunity. This is an opportunity this year. I agree. No doubt. No, they, they definitely need to do it this year if, they, if they're going to do it. So let's talk about you and, and, and you know, and your involvement from the from a Big Ten perspective and what and what goes on, you know, with, you know, this is a crazy year um, broadcasting games in, in a COVID situation. Mm -hmm. Um traveling, doing games from home. How has that been? What has that been like as compared to other years when you're doing games? You know, Wayne, it's been an adjustment, but I, I've been very fortunate because you know that I do a lot of stuff uh, on my own social media platforms. And so my experience doing some of the things that I do with my show Bartles Breakdown, I'm used to looking into a camera in, in my home studio and, you know, acting like, okay, you know, this is a live game. And so I, I we call uh, I've called seven, eight games on location out of the 50 that I've done this year. I've only been on location uh, uh, seven, eight times, eight times. And so the majority of the games are called in our Big Ten headquarters, uh, downtown Chicago. They did a really good job of taking individual uh, dressing rooms and turning them into individual broadcast booths. So you'll have you know, uh, two big monitors. You'll have a, a um, an announcer box where you can hit a button and talk back to the director without people on the air hearing it. So you have the same setup as you would have at a live event, 
but you're just in a in a room and you've got screens up and you've got you can see all the camera shots and everything. So I, I thought they they did a really good job of adjusting to the the, the new normal with, under this pandemic. And so a lot of uh, my colleagues have had problems and issues uh, making the adjustment. They don't feel quite as good, but it's very comfortable for me because of the reps that I've gotten doing my own show with Bartles Breakdown. So it, it, it's been an adjustment, but I think I've thrived un, under the circumstances. Yeah, I, well, I certainly think you've done a good job. And I, and I also love Bartos Breakdown. Um, talk a little bit about that, where people can find it, and, and what's, what are some of the things that you do on your show? Uh, I appreciate that, Wayne. Uh, Bartos Breakdown is a, a show that's on uh, Facebook. And it, I have a Facebook page and a Facebook group under the same name. What I like to do is I like interviewing former players and coaches because I think a lot of times when you when you hear a coach, he's in coach speak and he's just kind of talking very, very surface level. It, it I have enough relationships where I like to get underneath the surface. And, you know, what do you like to do? So like Thad Mata, who was the head coach at Ohio State for years, a, a really good friend of mine. We go way back. Thad is a serious griller. Like he would go home and grill after games because it's so relaxing for him. And he would grill, uh, you know, this intricate uh, pot roast or like these steaks that he had marinated in something special. Or Chris Holtman, the current coach at Ohio State, loves to get a run in uh, some at some point during the day of the game because it's his um, it opens up his mind. It lets him be a little bit more creative. Um, other coaches like to fish. Some coaches. Uh, you know, um, they, they're voracious readers. And I, I, I think the coaches are phenomenal individuals. They're some of the best salesmen in the country. They're some of the best talent evaluators in the country. And it makes the decisions that they make and influence young men in split second time frame is they're so unique that, that I believe the coaches are some of the most fascinating people on the planet. So I like to interview coaches. I like to interview players. And then I have pre and post game shows around some of the Big Ten and Big East games that I cover. And then I do some NBA coverage as well. So it's been a it was a, more of, to do for fun. But now it's starting to become something that I'm able to generate some uh, really a lot of interest and opportunities with. And it's been it's been great because it complements my television work very nicely. We've been doing a great job on that. It's been really exciting to see, you know, watch. And, and you said, I mean, you pick up really interesting little tidbits and, and, and kind of behind the scenes types of things that you, you would have never known about, about the coaches or some of the other people that you, you bring on the show to interview. Well, what about that from, from our perspective here at, at our 76 Capital Leadership Series as we start to wind down here with this great show with Stephen Bardo? You know, you got to follow Stephen Bardo at Stephen Bardo. You'll learn about all the things that he does. Um, you'll see that on Twitter. But again, you got you to take a look at uh, Bardo's breakdown on Facebook as well. But from your perspective, what are some of the sort of the behind the scenes kind of things that you do maybe before a broadcast now or how you prepare uh, to, to go on, want to go on the air doing one of your shows or whether that's on the Big Ten Network or Fox or something like, something like that? What are some of the things that maybe you can share with us uh, that can maybe give some uh, tips and tricks to some of the people out there who may want to you know, aspire to be like you in the future? Well, I, I utilize this service called Broadcaster's Edge, and it's a software um, program that will allow you to input information and it updates via Stats Inc. So 
the stats are are always current. You just you know you hit the refresh button and you know they'll all the stats the the uh, yearly stats and career stats will populate on their own. And what I like to do is to give again the richness and the background of the players and the coaches. So I, in in the area that I have, I'll try to write down five or six different things about what they did in their last five games. Um, what do they What do they like to do? Georgie Bashanis Vili at Illinois is a is a tremendous dancer. I mean, he does salsa, merengue. He 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 grew up in the uh, Republic of Georgia. That was one of the things that he did. He learned how to dance, and so that's something that I like to put in there. Ayo Desumu, Ayo is his middle name. Kwam Dean is his first name. He's got the same first name as his father, and that has a specific specific meaning in his Nigerian origin. And so I like to throw that in there because what it does, Wayne, people love stories. People love stories. And so anytime that you can connect a story and a background with a player, I think that gives a richness to a broadcast where if you don't have that, I think that that's missing. But I think I always want to give the viewers something again. I want them to leave with something that they didn't have before that they can go back to the proverbial water cooler and talk to their buddies who are also um, college basketball fans and have something in their hip pocket that they could throw out that the other people may not have. And so uh, I do that. Uh, I try to look at um, player tendencies, what they're, if they're really playing well here lately or they're really struggling. Um, why were they coming off the bench the last three games and why are they starting now? Um, is there a nagging injury that this player has been dealing with? All these different things I try to uh, capture about each player and, uh, you know, stuff about coaches. And then um, I do a lot of analytics with uh, Ken Palm. Ken Pomeroy is the guru of basketball analytics, in my opinion. So I look at his tempo-free stats and I, I compare national rankings and things of like that. So I just try to give a, a really nice picture of the team and the individual players so that, uh, you know, uh, fans, if they want to gamble or if they have a pool that they're in or uh, for March Madness, I, I do March Madness picks. I try to help people out. Um, and so all those different things um, I try to bring into uh, my research for each game. And what happens is once the season starts, Wayne, there are no there is no off time. Every day it's the same. You're watching games. You're, you're getting more information. You're talking to coaches on coaches calls before the game. So you, you can ask them questions and they give you insight. A lot of times I've got great relationships with coaches that they'll tell me things and they know I won't say it on the air. It's just for my background. It gives me, it helps uh, have me more prepared and I've developed that trust with those coaches. So, you know, things that I can share, I do share on the air, but a lot of stuff I don't. And I, I like to form that relationship, Wayne, because like you, you have a, a, a tremendous network of people that you um, you know, confide in and build relationships with. And it really helps you because none of us can get anything done on our own. You know, that that's certainly true. And it's what it's all about, you know, with, with us at, at 76 Capital and wanting to develop really good relationships with people, do the right thing. And, you know, and also do what you do, something that you love. And it's certainly obvious that you've been, you know, blessed throughout your life to do things that you love, whether that's, you know, growing up, you know, I, I love the stories of you and, and your siblings, 
um, you know, going, going, playing at, at the University of Illinois, you know, creating the flying Illini. I mean, that's amazing. Playing in the playing professionally all over the world, incredible experiences, and now staying in the game that you love and and being you know an, an analyst and 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 doing things that you know doing things in and around college basketball and imparting really amazing knowledge to all the viewers that get the opportunity to to watch you, whether that's on Bardo's breakdown or or on the the Big Ten Network or on Fox. It's pretty amazing. And uh, we're just really happy to have had the opportunity to have you on our 76 Capital Leadership Series. So, Stephen, thank you so much for joining our show. Thanks a lot for having me, Wayne. I really appreciate it. And we got to thank Howard for connecting the two of us. Howard Wright, keep up all the great work that you're doing at C360. You know, this is going to be, you know, hopefully a long-term relationship between us, Stephen, and we'll find ways to help each other and, and, and make this world a better place together. Everybody. Uh -huh. Thanks again for hanging in there and, and uh, listening and watching to our latest 76 Capital Leadership Series. Have a great day. In Philadelphia, reputation is key. No one knows that better than RushOrderTees.com. RushOrderTees has proudly printed high-quality custom apparel in Philly since they started in 2002. They take printing as seriously as their love for Philly sports, cheesesteaks, and that statue outside the art museum. No matter the order size or deadline, Rush Order Tees has you covered. Start your design today online or give them a call at 1-800-620-1233. RushOrderTees.com, Philadelphia's home for custom apparel.